Um, for all of us here, please turn with me to Acts chapter 8. And again, just want to welcome you guys. Welcome to Wildlife Baptist Church. It's really good to see you guys and to see some of you guys that uh, I haven't seen for a while um, and some new people. It's always great uh, to have you join us in worship. Please turn with me again. Uh, Acts chapter 8. Uh, we're going to start in verse 26 as we continue on. Uh, so follow along with me in your, in your Bibles or even on the screen uh, as we begin our time with the reading of God's word. Acts eight twenty six begins. Now as the angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearers silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied to him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom? I ask you, does the prophet say this is about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotos, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. If this is your first time joining us, again, welcome. I want to kind of bring you to where we are. Um, we have been going uh, through a series, and last week we returned back to this series in Acts entitled Becoming His Church. We started this series in January and have witnessed how Luke records the birth as well as the development of the church. A major point to remember as we go through this series in Acts is that it's not simply just a record, a history of the apostles. It's not just about the acts of the apostles. It'd be much more fuller of an understanding for us to understand that no, this is the gospel. This is what we're seeing in action. We're seeing the acts of the triune God through his spirit 
in the lives of the apostles. And as we have said before, this New Testament book of Acts is the beginning of church history. Not just here on 21st Avenue, our church history, but no, this is the history of God's church, his church as a whole. So from the churches, the few churches that we see in Pavlodor, Kazakhstan, to the countless persecuted churches that we know in Zhangjing, China, to the churches in Colima, Mexico, to the church here on 21st Avenue, this is the history that we share together. Where we last left off in Acts, we witnessed how the church responded to this ever-increasing persecution. The response was not fear, but it was boldness. It was boldness to go out and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Matt explained within his title as well that this is the persistent power of the gospel. Despite violent persecution, despite evil intent of those who compromise the gospel, the gospel continues to persistently spread in the life and ministry of faithful believers. In this very same way, this morning is kind of a part two of this message. The persistent power of the gospel will continue to spread beyond the scope of the Jewish people and the Jewish religious system. This morning, we're going to explain the timeless truth that everyone, everyone needs the gospel. We live in a time where many people do not realize the necessity of the gospel. So please understand this very crucial point. Whether you're a first-time visitor, a long-time frequent flyer guest, all the way to a newborn babe in Christ, or even one of our beloved seasoned saints who has been a Christian for over 60-plus years, or even if you're the furthest possible away from, from Christianity, as you can even possibly imagine, I want to make this point very, very clear. You all, we all, every one of us needs the gospel. And get this, you will never grow out of needing the gospel. You see, everyone needs the gospel, but many do not realize it. Well, the obvious question comes up. What's the gospel? We've been enjoying this as we've been walking with the youth in the college, uh, as well as with the Wednesday night and our Friday night group. We've been practicing sharing the gospel message. And to kind of help, we kind of summarized it in five points. What is the gospel? The gospel is God's story. We see this in five sections. We see creation, sin, promise, Jesus, and the church. So let me help us out this morning just very quickly, very, very quickly. We're going to summarize pretty much the whole Bible within these five points. This is the narrative, the meta-narrative, the overarching story of God, that in the very beginning, God existed. That there was perfect love 
Before anything else existed, God was there. He was never created. Out of the overflow of God's love, he created. He created everything. And when the stage was set, he created the first man and the first woman to share in that love. He gave them his good word, one rule, one command to follow. They were not to do this one thing. And so that's creation. But already, (laughs) within the third chapter of Genesis, we see sin. Where instead of loving God and participating in his love and trusting and obeying him and following his good word, they trusted only in themselves. We see sin where they only trusted in themselves. This is what broke that relationship between God and humanity. You see, sin both enslaves humanity, but it also makes us guilty before God. And there was nothing that man could do to ever make the relationship with God right again. So we have creation, we have sin, and then smack dab, Genesis chapter 315, uh, we even see other pictures of this promise with Genesis 11 and 12 with Abraham, but we see the promise that we see somewhat of this cliffhanger, that we see the problem get worse and worse and worse and worse, but then there's promise from the loving God that he promised that one of the descendants of Adam and Eve would make a way to rescue them from their sin to be right again with God. And for many, 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 many years, humanity long awaited their hero to arrive. So we have creation, we have sin, we have promise, and the many years of waiting, and finally we see Jesus, the promise fulfilled. This is the hero of God's story, Jesus. Fully man, fully God, came. And he took the punishment that humanity deserved for their sin and died in their place, taking on the full punishment for their sin. But that's not the end of the story. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, which displayed his power over death and his power to give new life for those who believe in him. And this life is for anyone who repents of their sin and believes in him. And they will be in right relationship with him forever. Creation, sin, promise, Jesus. And then this fifth section where we live today. After Jesus resurrected from the dead, he spent 40 days instructing his followers about his plan to spread this good news, the gospel. First, he was going to give, him, give them his spirit. Secondly, he gave them a mission. And thirdly, he gave them another promise that although he would leave, that he would return. Jesus ascended to the Father in heaven and his spirit was given. The church was born and the mission continues. And today, The same message 
It's the same message we need, that anyone who repents and believes in Jesus is added to his church, God's family, and shares in the mission. And as we await Jesus' return, believers spread the gospel to all the peoples of the earth so that they too will believe in Jesus and be in right relationship with God. This is God's story. This is the gospel message. This is the hope that should be our anthem. I said this before with our worship team. Like, I pray that every song that we do is a heart of, I guess you can say, gospel anthemic worship. Everything we're singing about connects back to this story. That he is the hero that we've been waiting for. He is the hero, the king that we rejoice And get this, this is the same message that Philip shares with this Ethiopian man. This is what Luke means when he recorded that Philip opened his mouth and told him the good news about Jesus. So where does does the text live? By the direction of the Spirit, Philip continues to witness to the outsiders of society. In this passage, we will see how the story of the church continues to unfold as the gospel moves to the end of the earth. So the title of the sermon this morning is Everyday Ministry for Everyday People. And again, we will be in Acts 8, 26 through 40. For those of you who don't identify as Christian My hope is that you will understand how God describes his church. This is not simply an optional list of suggestions uh, or a list of long-term goals that we post up there on the wall. This is a list of necessities that characterize the heartbeat of God's church as a whole. A list that should unify all churches who desire to be centered on God's good word. And for those of you who who do identify as a Christian, those who have been saved by the blood of Christ, my hope is that you will be challenged to perpetually participate in gospel ministry in your everyday, ordinary, routine, day-to-day life. In this passage, we will witness how God uses Ordinary people in ordinary situations to share an extraordinary message. For that this morning, I have three points. The first point is his church loves missionally. We're going to see that in verses 26 to 31. His church loves missionally. Therefore, Believers must love others intentionally with the love of Christ to the glory of Christ for the mission of Christ. It's it's all about the prepositions. The love that we are to love others with is not a love that we muscle up within ourselves. I'm speaking to the brothers and sisters I have in Christ here this morning. Christians, we love others with the love of Christ. This is the love of Christ that was poured out for us on the cross. This 
is the love that we are to display to others. This is the love that will lead others to the glory of Christ. And this is the love that we participate in as his church on mission to reach the ends of the earth with this gospel message. We see this love displayed in the life of Philip. Whenever we are first introduced to Philip, Luke explains that he was chosen by the church to serve the Hellenistic widows who are being neglected in the daily distribution. This is in chapter 6, verse 1. By the time we reach chapter 21, Luke will tell us that Philip was still an ordinary man. He owns a home. He has four daughters. Again, an ordinary man, obedient to an extraordinary mission. So what qualified him to to love and serve this neglected group of people within the church community? What made Philip so special? The church simply recognized that he had a good reputation and like all believers should be, was full of the spirit. Put simply, Philip was an ordinary man saved by the extraordinary love and grace of Jesus Christ. But it wasn't just that he was saved by the blood of Christ so that he could live his best life now. No. He was saved by the blood of Christ to be freed from the bondage of sin, to be made right before God and enabled by God's spirit to display that love to others. All for the glory of God. This ordinary man's ministry did not stop there in chapter six. We last saw Uh, this past week, how God used Philip to reach another neglected group of people, the Samaritans, where where Luke seems to give us a limited understanding of why these Hellenistic widows were neglected. Jewish historian Josephus points readers to several reasons why these Samaritans were overlooked. The Samaritan and the Jewish people, they had a long-standing hatred for, for one another. The Samaritans had a long history of idol worship, differing temple practice, intermarrying with other cultures, an alternative understanding of what Holy Scripture was, differences that made them enemies of each other. And this ongoing hatred for one another is what made Philip's actions in the beginning of chapter 8 so astounding. He wasn't supposed to love these people. It wasn't natural for him. Ordinary Philip was moved by the love of Christ to share the gospel with a people he could not love with his own abilities. But again, same point as earlier. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Christians, we do not love with our own abilities. As a Christ follower, Philip here, he was enabled by God through his spirit to love the Samaritans with the love of Christ to guide the Samaritans to the glory of Christ. In the same way, verse 26 tells us that God directed Philip through one of his agents to rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. What makes this instruction so strange is that it seems like this is an 
odd command in itself. We talked about this on Wednesday night, but historically, there were two places that could be referred to as Gaza. There could be the old Gaza or the new Gaza. Therefore, there were two roads that led from Jerusalem to Gaza. Instead of the more common route to Gaza, God directed Philip to take this desolate, deserted road. Some scholars have even interpreted the Greek phrase, which makes it even worse, that instead of seeing that word translated as toward the south, it could be alternatively translated at noon. This would heighten the strangeness of God's command to Philip. Not only was this a desert road, uncommonly traveled, but this was to be traveled during the hottest part of the day. I love how one pastor comments on this. This was no mere chance encounter, and this certainly was not the result of clever human ingenuity. Apart from the Spirit's orchestration of events, it would have never taken place at all. That emphasizes, again, the sovereign work of the Spirit in salvation. Look at Philip's response to God's instruction in verse 27. You see, before that, in verse 26, we see Philip is given instruction. And in verse 27, we read that Philip rose and went. Can't overlook this. Philip could have questioned God, like we see in the life of Jonah. Like Gideon, he could have doubted God and asked God for several signs to confirm this strange instruction. Philip could have even made a case that his thriving ministry, this revival happening in Samaria, deserved his undivided attention. But instead of challenging or even questioning what seemed like an illogical command from God, Philip promptly obeyed and went. The text tells us that in Philip's willing obedience, he encounters, surprisingly, an Ethiopian man. Luke doesn't name this man, but gives us many descriptions about who he is, what he is. He was an official of high rank to the Candace, the queen mother of Ethiopia. You know, in, in this age, uh, in this day and age, this kingdom was very large and very prosperous and was located just south of Egypt. The, the text explains that this man was in charge of all her treasure. In a sense, we can say that he was the royal treasurer of this huge wealth. But even though he had all this power, he had all this wealth, the text reflects that he still possessed a great emptiness deep within his soul. There's some talk like, is this man really a eunuch? Because synonymously, someone can say that you're a treasurer and call you a eunuch, kind of as a nickname. But because this man is described as both a eunuch and a court official, it would be likely that he was actually a eunuch. And this is a very important detail for our text this morning. We're going to address why. Because of Jewish law, eunuchs were excluded from the privileges and rights of the Jewish community. It's actually a part of their law that they stand on. In Deuteronomy 23, verse 1, 
This would mean that this man who made these long and arduous journeys to Jerusalem did so in order to worship God, fully aware that he was not allowed full participation in this community's worship. Fully aware that he was not allowed into the place of worship and fully aware that he was not allowed to become a full convert to this people group. And it's because of his physical condition. But despite his limited participation within Judaism, he was committed to make this trek and get this, which would have approximately taken five months each way. He wanted to know more about God. So as this Ethiopian made his long journey, return journey back home, the text says that he was reading the prophet Isaiah while seated in his chariot. Unlike anywhere else in the Old Testament scriptures, Isaiah holds one of the greatest promises for eunuchs. And this this promise is speaking of God's future kingdom. Isaiah 56 says that eunuchs who are faithful to God and his covenant will be given a place in his kingdom and a name better than sons and daughters. And God will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. It is quite possible that he read through the scroll of Isaiah a number of times on this five-month journey back and forth. As this man was again contemplating the promises of God in Isaiah, Philip is instructed by God's Spirit to go over and join this chariot. And I want to, again, draw your attention to Philip's response to God's instruction. Look at the beginning of verse 30. It says that Philip heard God's instruction, so he ran to him and heard this man reading aloud from Isaiah. Why is he reading out loud? It was common in that time period that people would read aloud due to the complexity of the crowded letters of these documents. We're not gonna see a number system within the scripture for hundreds and hundreds more years. We're not gonna see many spaces either, so it's a bunch of jumbled letters together. So out of reading out loud, they could try to make sense of these scroll texts. What a surprising joy it must have been for Philip to hear this man from a foreign land reading the promises about Jesus at that very moment he obeys the Spirit. You know, there's a story I once read I'm reminded of, and it's the story of this evangelist, W.E. and Thomas. I'm going to read this. Uh, One author writes, as Thomas was traveling on a plane, tired and hoping to sleep, we've been there, he heard someone say, when he looked to see where the sound had come from, his eyes met those of a stranger. The man said, I'm, I'm reading the Bible about Nicodemus in John chapter 3, and I did not understand it. Do you know anything about the Bible? Philip, by the direction of the Spirit, runs to this man's chariot and asks him, Do you understand what you're reading? 
out of a desire to understand God's promises and a heart that has been humbled by his insufficient status, the Ethiopian replies, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him in his chariot. What a great reminder that God's sovereignty, and in his sovereignty, he orchestrates ordinary conversations for extraordinary gospel opportunities. Christians, believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to again exhort you to love others intentionally with the love of Christ to the glory of Christ for the mission of Christ. The love that Philip displayed was not accidental. It was not natural. It was God-ordained, and it was provided through the supernatural love of Christ. I've said this before in a number of different ways, but it's worth repeating again here. The only reason why Philip is able to love this Ethiopian man is because Jesus displayed his abounding love for him on the cross. It is the love of God through his sacrifice on the cross that Philip was able to show that love, that Philip's life was transformed to love the neglected widows within the church, that Philip's life was transformed to love with a Christ-centered love that overcame racial animosity against the long-standing enemy of his people, that Philip's life was transformed by God to love with a God-fearing love that reached the most foreign of foreigners, Faithful Christians, faulting, failing Christians, is your love for others fueled with the love of Christ? Or do you find yourselves constantly and spiritually empty when these opportunities arise? Does your love for others in your office point to Christ's glorious love on the cross? Or does it point to your own efforts and your own sacrifices? Has God laid on your heart a certain coworker you've been meaning to engage in conversation with? Or even students, is there someone on campus that God continues to place on your mind? I want to open this up to parents, parents of graduates, parents of future graduates, parents in general. <laughs> I I don't want you to miss the significant earlier point. This Ethiopian had the power. He had the uh, prestige. He had a secure financial future. But he knew his soul was desperately lacking. Do you see this truth in your son? Do you see this truth in your daughter? Let Let me ask it a different way. What is your greatest hope for your child? Is it success in the business world? Is it, is it great financial security? Future stability? Is it that next sports accolade? Or that high achieving scholarship to pay for school? Or maybe you simply want them to have a better future than you did. Honestly, that's great. But... I want you to take notice of something very important in this passage. If your child does not have, again, 
If your child has all these things but does not have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, all his or her successes, all his or her securities and a lifetime of scholarship will only leave them wanting more. And some will ask, but can't I have both? Worldly success and a saving relationship with Christ? My response, I want it to be loving, but it's tough and simple. Which one are you willing to sacrifice first? Parents, are you ready to love your child missionally? Are you ready to put aside your ability to adequately love your son or daughter and love them with the love of Christ to the glory of Christ for the mission of Christ? As one pastor rightly says, if anyone came to mind as I asked these questions, you, like Philip, may have a chariot waiting for you. A missional church is composed of individuals who are led by the Spirit like Philip. The Lord will direct us, but we must be willing to obey. Again, his church loves missionally. Therefore, church family, believing parents, students, office workers, we must love others intentionally with the love of Christ to the glory of Christ for the mission of Christ. My second point this morning is his church shares the gospel readily. Therefore, believers must prepare for and engage in gospel conversations scripturally. As the Ethiopian eunuch invited Philip into his chariot, they began to talk about a particular passage. And this particular passage that we see a glimpse of is Isaiah 53, verses 7 through 8. This passage is often remembered as the suffering servant song. This passage has been debated by many different peoples uh, for many centuries like about whom this passage was referring to. Some believe that this passage is referring to the suffering nation as a whole. Some people interpreted and believe that this is referring to the prophet Isaiah himself. Others believe that this prophet was referring to someone else. Possibly another Elijah or, or a, a Messiah that God will bring. The fact that this man was confused about this passage, therefore, was not really surprising. But what was surprising was that Philip, a man who experienced the love of Christ, was providentially in the right place, at the right time, doing the very thing that God had directed him to do. Something we're going to see a lot in Acts. Philip rightly understood that Jesus was the fulfillment of the prophecies throughout Isaiah. God had prepared this ordinary man, Philip, enough to correctly provide the answer to this Ethiopian's question, this question that the Ethiopian was yearning answers for. 
So Philip, possibly Philip just explained the whole thing, that close to 750 years before Jesus' crucifixion, God told Isaiah to describe both the suffering of Jesus as well as the exaltation of Jesus. Philip, the text says that Philip explained the good news about Jesus in that Jesus' ministry was centered on his substitutionary work on the cross to make all repentant sinners right before God. The, the expression opened his mouth is commonly referring to one who teaches from the scriptures. I love how one scholar uh, plainly comments, simply put, Philip gospel Jesus. One pastor also comments in lieu of this, saying, Philip knew that Christ is the key to understanding Isaiah 53, and he said so. Throughout Luke Acts, there is a constant theme that people need a faithful Christian interpreter to explain the scriptures. This section teaches us a timeless truth that many can relate to today. This Ethiopian didn't need a travel buddy. He didn't need more power. He didn't need more wealth, more security. He, he needed someone who was prepared to faithfully explain the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ through the work of God's spirit. I'm going to share with you this. Recently, my family and I had the honor of sitting with a church member's family uh, to share the gospel. And I was reminded uh, how, a great, how great of a privilege it was to sit down with their family and to be able to listen to their story. And I was humbled that they would ask me questions that, that they were wrestling through. I will never forget how special this moment was for my family. Something that this moment reminded me was this increasing awareness that any teaching of the gospel, it needs to be taught accurately and clearly. See, there, there are many things that I wanted to talk about, but they were not main things. They weren't the main things that they needed to hear. So as my old mentor, he gave sage advice, he would say, keep the main thing the main thing. Oftentimes, the simple thing is the main thing. So how do we prepare for opportunities to share the gospel readily? How are we supposed to communicate the gospel? Regarding the gospel, how do we make certain that we are keeping the main thing the main thing? For this, I have two practical application points. Uh, first, I want to exhort you to prepare for gospel ministry or gospel conversation scripturally. How do we do this? In order to have gospel conversations, we must know how the scripture explains the good news of the gospel. We must be able to identify what makes Jesus the hero of the Bible story, referred to as the meta narrative, the, the overarching narrative of scripture. And secondly, I want to exhort you to not only prepare, but engage in gospel conversations scripturally. Take notice. Those of you who grew up in the 90s, like myself, take notice that Philip did not bust out his evangelicube on the chariot. He didn't bust out his WWJD bracelet to share with him the good news of the gospel. What did Philip do? How did he engage in gospel conversations without these necessary tools? 
<laughs> he turned to the scripture and simply asked questions. Look at the first words Philip uses in verse 31. Philip asks the Ethiopian, do you understand what you're reading? You see, many Christians find this concept of asking questions challenging or even pointing to scripture very challenging because they have never been taught how to evangelize to others outside of canned approaches. If you do not feel capable of opening the Bible and walking with someone through the gospel story, not, I'm not angry, I promise. <laughs> but if you do not feel capable of opening the Bible and walking with someone, talking to them about scripture through the gospel story, I want to encourage you maybe to own and read a copy of the Big Picture Story Bible by David Helm or even the Biggest Story Bible by Kevin DeYoung. Understand that these books are actually designed for kids, but it does offer a great understanding of the overarching narrative of the entire Bible. From there, after you've read through those resources, move on. Proper study Bibles are very helpful. Not only that, don't just read by yourself in a silo. Talk about the gospel with other believers. Again, I want to invite you to join us on Wednesday nights or even our growth group on Friday nights. Dive into community. Dive into spiritual preparation and practice for gospel conversations. You may even wish to use podcasts um, or other resources like books on theology. The thing that I want to bring you uh, of most importance, I want to remind you what is most important. You must read the Bible daily. You must be prepared as a congregation together scripturally. Understand that your time in the word and your study of it is your evangelism training. No matter how you begin your preparation, no matter where you are in your preparation, pray and remember that faithful, confident communication of the good news of the gospel comes from faithful preparation. Church family, we must prepare for and engage in gospel conversations scripturally because his church shares the gospel readily. You may be asking yourself the obvious question, why? <laughs> why, why do I need to love missionally? Why do I need to share the gospel readily? I'm fine where I'm at. These questions bring us to the third point of this passage. For those of you online, for those of you here in person, his church is a great commission church. A great commission church. Therefore, participate in the great commission earnestly. This third point addresses the fact that we don't have to feel led by the Spirit in order to love missionally and share the gospel readily. God has already commissioned all believers to great commission work. Don't miss this point either. Great commission point is not only for retired Christians. Great commission work is not only for empty nesters. 
Great Commission work is not for those with free time. It's not for a special group of elite Christians or those who feel called to vocational pastoral ministry. And it's certainly not limited to just the pastoral staff. Church, no. The Great Commission has been given to all believers to obey. In the final days before Jesus ascended, Jesus addressed believers saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. And remember, this is a command to all believers. God is commanding, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is exactly what Philip is doing. As he was telling the Ethiopian the good news about Jesus, verse 36 tells us that the Ethiopian, excited to see some water along the side of the road, asks Philip, what prevents me from being baptized? In this account, Luke doesn't really explain to us how the Ethiopian knew about baptism. It's possible that he knew about baptism from his time worshiping in Jerusalem, something that was forbidden for him to do since he was a eunuch, something that he was never allowed to become a full Jew because of his race and his physical condition. It is also possible that Philip, in his obedience to the Great Commission, explained the purpose of baptism to him. So whether he heard about it from Philip or he saw it in Jerusalem, his desire to be baptized evidenced his long responsiveness to the gospel message. So he hears Philip explaining to him that because of Jesus' death on the cross, this Ethiopian's physical and racial differences are not a barrier to receive full membership into the family of Jesus Christ. So this Ethiopian commands the chariot to stop. He halts the wagon. And Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. What is baptism? Just to briefly go over it very quickly, what was so important about baptism that this Ethiopian was eager to do it as soon as he possibly could? First, before I explain it, I want to be very clear about this. The act of baptism does not save. Neither does the water have any chemical abilities to transform someone's life. There was no incantation, and there's nothing mystical about these elements. Instead, what is baptism? It's a symbol that communicates that a believer is identifying with Jesus Christ. How? How does he identify with Jesus Christ? The act of burial into the water substantiates, it confirms, it attests to the reality of one's death. It's this covenantal act that illustrates this burial. Whose burial? Christ's burial. This all comes back to the gospel message that we opened up with in the beginning. This is about Christ's redemptive work for sinful humanity. So a believer's baptism illustrates this reality, this confession of being in Christ. Just as Christ died and was buried, a believer who is in Christ is confessing that Christ's death and burial was their death and burial. And just as Christ was raised from the dead, a believer who is in Christ is confessing that Christ's resurrection is their resurrection. And not only are we raised to new life in Christ, but mounts 
writer, uh, he, he writes, we are raised to an entirely new way of living. Talked about this also on Wednesday night. Get this. Baptism, Christian baptism is also done by someone else. This is huge. Don't miss this. Baptism is not self-administered like the Jewish cleansing rites. Instead, Christian baptism is administered by another. Further symbolizing that it is not done by our own merit, it's not done by our own abilities, and it is not because of our own personal goodness. No, rather, this is done to us, done for us, by God. Jumping back to verse 40, it quickly explains that as they came up out of the water, they departed in opposite directions. God had directed Philip to this mission, carried Philip through the witness, and now God's spirit carried him away to his next gospel assignment. The text says that Philip was brought to the coastal cities in the northern region, while the Ethiopian eunuch continues southward as he went on his journey back home. Look at verse 39. The the Ethiopian went on his way rejoicing. Wow. What a sight that must have been. Why, Why would he be rejoicing? Why was he rejoicing? He no longer had to mourn over his ethnic and physical conditions that barred him from becoming Jewish. He has been declared righteous through his faith and now has peace with God through Jesus Christ. And for those of us here, those of us online who share this same confession, we have experienced what Romans 5 confesses that through Christ Jesus that we also have obtained access by faith into Christ or in in this grace in which we stand and we too rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Early church tradition tells us that this Ethiopian became an incredible missionary to his own home country. Don't miss this. Not only has he been saved by the blood of Christ, not only is he now a brother in Christ with Philip, not only has he been given the same access to God, not only has he been given the same spirit of God to transform his life, he has been given the same great commission work as Philip. Christian, have you lost sight of your great commission work? The text concludes with this final reminder that great commission work means a lifetime of ministry. Verse 40 explains that Philip, on his new mission assignment, preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. And it is here in Caesarea, 20 years later, that we will see Philip again. And get this, he is still earnestly participating in Great Commission work 20 years later. Faithful believers, believers who have failed in their Great Commission obedience, you never graduate from the gospel. You never age out of it. You never retire from Great Commission work. Christian, brothers and sisters in Christ, we are a Great Commission people. 
with a great commission purpose because his church is a great commission church. Therefore, participate in the great commission earnestly. For those of you who are not Christians this morning, maybe like the Ethiopian, you, you have had it all. You've had the power. You've had the prestige and the power and the success. You've had great security. Or maybe you don't even have the money or successful career just yet, but you're striving to get there. But you're still searching for something more. As I have said in the beginning of service, everyone, everyone needs the gospel, but many do not realize it. Turn to Christ. Only in Christ, only through faith in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ will you find peace with God. I want to echo a prayer of Paul that he will later write in Ephesians 3. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches that you may know the power of his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you may grasp how wide, how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the measure and the fullness of God. Now I want to direct this to the Christians, the faithful Christians, as well as the faulting Christians who has lost sight of their great commission work First, rejoice. Rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. When you're done rejoicing, rejoice again and again and again and again and again. This hope that we rejoice in is the good news of the gospel. Everyone needs the gospel, but many do not realize it. Is that you this morning, Christian? Have you forgotten the need for the gospel? Church family, imagine what our community would look like if we were known as his church that loves missionally and shares the gospel readily. For that, we don't love with our personal ability to love. No, we we need to love others intentionally with the love of Christ, to the glory of Christ, for the mission of Christ. And not only do we need to display his love, we must prepare for and engage in gospel conversation scripturally. While I church family, let's be the church here on 21st Avenue that is known as a great commission church. For that, we must participate in the great commission earnestly together This is what everyday ministry for everyday people looks like. This is demonstrating the fact that everyone needs the gospel and this is what it means to become his church.